Hello and welcome to Small Town Big Business, a podcast about doing big business in small town middle America. I'm your host, Allison Hassler with Southern Illinois Vacation Rentals. And I'm Russell Williams. I'm director of Ethos and we are a small business incubator, co-working spaces, training and development here in downtown Marion, Illinois. In fact, we come to you from the Citadel, the historic Citadel building here on Tower Square Plaza. We thank you for joining us and we also want to thank our sponsors for making this podcast possible. And that includes Arcadia Wealth Group, Fowler Heating and Cooling, the Watermark Auto Group Foundation, Black Diamond Harley Davidson and RV, Swinford Media Group, of course, Southern Illinois Vacation Rentals, and also Union Street Arts. And you can join the small town big business community wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, subscribing is free and you can get upcoming episodes that are released every two weeks. We have an awesome show today, Allison. I'm excited. Yeah, excited about our guest. Our guest today is a man named Joshua Ingold. And Joshua is the founder and owner of a company called Object A. Welcome, Joshua. Thank you. Can we call you, call you Josh? Josh works. There you go. Hey, thanks for coming in today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. We've known about the business for a few years because you're in a company that's very helpful for some of these old historic buildings, um, but I know that you do other things too. Tell us a little bit about Object A first. Object A is a custom furniture design build studio. Um, I started building full custom uh, designs and, and uh, furniture for the residential um, and commercial market in Providence, Rhode Island. And now I have uh, a shop here in Marion where I still do custom design and, and manufacture, but also offer a made-to-order catalog line. Okay. So is Rhode Island home? No, I grew up here in Copton. Oh, you did? Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. So tell us how you got from here to there, back to here. Tell us a little bit about the story. Yeah. So I started right out of high school as a machinist. I worked uh, with my dad and uh, um, here in Marion, a, a shop, a precision machine and tool in Southern Illinois. Okay. Yep. And um, did that for about eight years before going back to school. I went back to school for my BFA in sculpture at SIU and then to the Rhode Island School of Design for a Master's of Architecture. Um, while I was in Rhode Island, I worked for a number of small design build architectural groups, um, mostly collaboratives, where each person had a, a sort of a niche background they brought to the table. And my specialty in those groups were, uh, was to do the sort of offsite fabrication design that would then be installed into a remodel or a new build. So furniture and fixtures, um, built-ins, cabinetry, things like that. And as I started to take on that role, it sort of became its own entity, and I found work outside of those collaboratives and slowly developed my own, my own business that way. Um, while I was building that business, I started to notice an online market for what I was doing for standalone work furniture, not so much built-ins or fixtures, but uh, you know, casework and tables and things like that. And the more my business started to redirect off or, you know, out of the region and onto the online market, the more I found that I wasn't regionally bound and could move my business back here with my family. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's really interesting. So for those that aren't familiar with the, the architectural side of things, um, how did that play a role in your, your bachelor's degree and your master's degree play a role in what you do now? 
so as a machinist, I learned to just the, the shop practice and the, the mindset for craft. Um, sculpture was really a way to take those skills um, into a more creative field and build for the sake of building without having to worry so much about function or utility. Um, as I developed a, a vocabulary for sculpture, I started off with the idea that sculpture is you know, well-crafted objects made of wood or steel or something. Um, but the more that I sort of exposed myself to, to the art world and art vocabularies, I came to find that the real medium for sculpture is space. Um, whether it be relationships between objects and the viewer or relationships between objects in space. Um, and that sort of led me to a, a fascination with or an interest in how space itself is built and houses those relationships. And so that was the transition from sculpture to architecture. Um, and throughout my architectural study, I started to in, invert that interest and and see that you could put objects in space that don't that that also that not only are, are objects that create relationships between uh, the viewer and the object itself but can become part of the context for that relationship by um, articulating the space itself so um, fixtures and built-ins and furniture that has a programmatic purpose in space that can make a space seem like it has a, a a purposeful function uh, or a design function was something that I I took on as the as that role in those architectural design build collaboratives. Um, so that became sort of a design impetus, and uh, the business itself sort of evolved and turned into what it is. And I, I build furniture and standalone sort of uh, capacities that are meant to go into rooms I've never been to, but I still try to maintain that. Um, that in, that interest or that that intrigue uh, to understand how the body might relate to the piece of furniture, how the piece of furniture might articulate a larger design plan. Wow! Can you describe your customers and maybe what the spaces that they're putting the furniture in? Yeah, I mean, I think I my customers in terms of like target market um, tend to be either families who are looking for that that first forever home who are maybe remodeling, rehabbing something, um, or older couples, retired couples who are having, you know, have empty nest and want to sort of redesign their space for their own sakes or for themselves. Um, so they tend to be people who are really enthusiastic about what about the project they're working on and want to populate their space with pieces that feel very much like them, um, choices that they're making about their homes and their lives and their spaces. And uh, it runs the gamut from bedroom furniture to dining room furniture to bathroom cabinetry and fixtures. But the, I would say the one sort of consistent quality is that these are meant to be items that represent their personality and how they might dwell in the spaces that they're, um, they're, they're fitting for themselves. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So with your fur- so when people think furniture store, furniture company, they usually think lumber and woodworking, but do you do more than just the woodworking then? Do you use other materials in your furniture? I use uh, I use hardwoods. I do a lot of steel fabrication. So a lot of my 
my furniture is incorporates steel and wood, and I also cast custom uh, glass fiber reinforced concrete for surfaces mm. and, and fixtures. I do sinks and counters and things like that as well. Very interesting. The source for the, the wood, is it local or is it? It is local. Uh, I use Faro Lumber down in Cairo. Okay. Um, a very large operation. They've got great inventory of all domestic hardwoods. Okay. So take us through the process of customizing furniture. I mean, how does that start when someone inquires? Because that's what I did with you, right? We, you knew we were down here. I introduced you to the space and also talked about the other historical buildings that are around here with Seasoning Bistro Restaurant going in next door. And I saw your website and I was like, okay, but I don't know the phases of how do you start that process? So generally a customer will come to me with some idea of what they want and the it can run the spectrum from um, I ha I want a I want a thing that does this thing um, and they don't have any idea what it's supposed to what it should look like mm -hmm. um, or I want I want this exactly but I want it six inches longer and mm -hmm. two feet taller or whatever mm -hmm. um, but generally speaking they they have a like I say they want a dining table or something or a or a, a cabinet for their for their office. Um, they have a number of pictures or images that they are sort of they're using to communicate their intent um, and they want some features of this image and some functionality from this image and an aesthetic from that and so forth and they're bringing me some it's like a, a collage of, of ideas mm -hmm. um, and then so I take I take those ideas um, along with maybe some measurements, either rough measurements or sometimes having to go to the space and measure out and try to figure out how something might fit in um, and feel in that space. And then, and then start at the drawing board, um, rough sketches at first, and then moving into a, a 3D digital model so that I can communicate my design proposal to the, the customer. Um, I'm, I usually try to do that sort of schematic design process with budget in mind. Mm -hmm. Most most clients have a budget in mind, or at least sort of a range that they're working with, and that helps me to make some decisions up front. So we don't, you know, I don't end up designing myself into a corner. Um, but then there's the sort of proposal side of, or the phase where here's the images that I've produced, and here's a rough a rough budget for that, and um, you know the yes or no, or do you think this works? Would you like to build it out a little bit bigger? You want to emphasize this function or this aesthetic or something? Um, so there's a little bit of a uh, revision process. Mm -hmm. And then finally, once we get to um, what I would say a developed design, then it would be a matter of bidding it out more precisely mm -hmm. and then backfeeding, if need be, some sort of value engineering or some kind of um, you know rewrite in order to to bring it within the scope of the project and bring mm -hmm. it within, within budget. And then at some point we've landed on a, a finished design and an agreed price mm -hmm. and an agreed timeline. And then it would be, um, you know, going out and finding finding vendors, mm -hmm. sourcing the raw materials and scheduling into the production uh, timeline. Okay. And your business is here in Marion. It is. You live in Macanda. I live in Macanda, work here in Marion. Right. And you had said earlier that you had Providence, Rhode Island is where you moved from, you, but, but you saw that you could apply this trade here. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, when I moved here, starting a business in the city uh, feels and is different than, than working in a small town, as we are here to discuss. But um, 
I was I was excited to move here. I was excited that there is this there is this market that exists in the world and exists in this country for um, higher quality goods that that um, you know people are willing to pay good money for, and that the that that market could be brought here, um, and that you know people who are willing to pay five thousand dollars for a piece of furniture in New Jersey would spend their money here, and the materials that need that are bought to produce that are bought here, and the people who you know are running the tools to build that are eating here, and so that without being a a, a major you know conceptual driver, it was it was something that I was proud to be able to do. And I'm still proud to be able to do to uh, provide jobs for what you know, being what they are, and uh, and just contribute to the local economy. What kind of jobs do you have that? Um, because it sounds like because you do have an online presence and you do have uh, a lot of clientele that is literally all over the world. Um, what jobs do you have in the manufacturing side, or is it logistics and? Uh, mostly labor and shop okay. shop help. Um, I so far have managed to keep my demand pretty low. Um, I don't. I don't. I'm not looking to expand into a major manufacturing operation. And I'm. I'm. You know that which is an an option has always been an option. And I'm not. I'm not trying to get so small that it's just a design office, either. Um, but I do have. I do regularly hire for things just like like shop assistant, um, metal fabricator. Usually they're part-time to full-time jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had uh, office assistants, people who come in and kind of just help with the back, with the back of house stuff. Um, and, uh, and I found that one of, the, one of the things that is a consistent um, situation is that I, I have to train everybody who comes in for a very specific trade and, and uh, set of skills that are, they have sort of a lateral relationship to other industries that we're familiar with, like construction or trim carpentry or um, metal fabrication, welding, things like that, but they're not, they're not quite a perfect fit. Um, and so applying some skills that they may be able to bring in from other industries and fine tuning them or honing them for, um, you know, Handcrafted furniture can take some time, and uh, but also at the same time, I I think, um, or I like to think, that it expands their their knowledge and expertise and gives them a little bit of a different sort of mindset for how to apply those skills. So. Very neat. So while your workforce is small, um, partnerships. Uh, how did you develop those here in the rural area? Uh, moving from a city again, uh, how, has it been difficult finding those partnerships, and who who's the most valuable partnerships for you? It has been, but I would say because we because I do most of the building in house, my partnerships, my strongest partnerships are with vendors. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, a I've had a long partnership with Tri-State uh, Countertops, uh, Tri-State yeah. Ground, Granite Countertops here in, in town. He does a lot of my bathroom. Uh, counters mm-hmm. for bath vanities mm-hmm. um, and he's done some some stone for I think a couple tables that I've built as well um, I have I've worked with uh, JMS uh, steel supply in Paducah all along um, I have met tons of people with 
uh, backyard mills for things like mm-hmm. rough cut slabs or uh, barn wood, rec- reclaimed lumber, things like that. So you're always shopping around? Always shopping around for stuff like that. Okay. Um, some things are sort of niche and uh, aren't aren't available at your your hard, hardware store mm-hmm. or at the lumber on a lumber mill at the scale of Faro. Mm-hmm. So I, I do have to keep an ear to the ground for things like that. And you know, if you if you meet one guy that's got a a pile of old lumber in his backyard he probably knows two or three other guys that have mm. a pile of lumber in their mm-hmm. backyard um and so just building rapport and and trying to stay inside that stay in that network help is helpful mm. yeah so i want to talk about bringing this online and doing those orders like getting a dining room table that is custom to New Jersey mm-hmm. and what that looked like for you. Were there any challenges? Because obviously it's been done before. I was just shopping online at Restoration Hardware because we're going to be <laughs> getting getting a dining room table sometime soon. So we'll be talking. Mm-hmm. But um, so we know that it exists and we know that, that you can ship. But did you have any logistical barriers or um, mindset barriers in moving this to an online platform hmm. uh, yeah I, I would say that that shipping logistics is a is a major component of sort of the, just the structural mindset of the business um, and how the shipping industry moves and um, is affected by market is a, is a pretty important part of how I have to move and um, and respond to the market uh, for example everything that I build gets created and so while the materials that I build my, my pieces out of has a fairly stable market, um, even though lumber has been a little bit, um, has, has gone up and down quite a, quite a bit in the, little, in the last couple of years, it's not as dramatic as the construction materials market. Um, so really the, the difficulties that I've seen in the in labor market fluctuations recently has been in my, my creating and my shipping costs. Really? Which is sort of a, a, a an overhead mm-hmm. and not really what you might think of as the cost of materials. So it's it's hard for me to pass that on to a customer because um, they don't really want to know how much it costs to create and ship their piece. Um, so that's that's important. But the other way that it plays out is just in design. Um, I try to. In the interest of saving cost in shipping, I try to package things as mindfully as possible, mm-hmm. which means that a lot of what I ship has to ship um, disassembled, which means that the assembly process has to be intuitive and um, you know considerate of the of the customer and what their abilities might be and what their um, skill sets might be. So it has impacted the design of the the products themselves, um, making sure the fasteners are are really consistent throughout the piece um, and uh, and that assembly processes are, are thought out um, and, and, and intuitive. Yeah. Now, how far away have you shipped your furniture products? I think the furthest away is Amsterdam. They can really? be shipped to Amsterdam. Okay, so how does somebody who's in Amsterdam or even East Coast, West Coast, uh, what kind of marketing are you doing or are they just finding you? I rely heavily on platforms that already exist. Um, one of my best friends, um, platform friends, um, when I first started was a, was a website called custommade.com. Okay. Um, 
and it's it's since transitioned to something that is more services the jewelry industry more than it services other home goods in the beginning it was the idea was it would be a public platform where a stable of makers in various different specialties um, could could get access to a a, a job board mm -hmm. so uh, anybody who knew about this website would go on post a job say i want um, some a, a stairwell built or a, a deck railing built or um, a jewelry box or a cutting board or a, a costume and so all these sort of specialty trades would have access to this job board and you can go through and see which ones fit your business and um, uh, provide a proposal mm -hmm. so that's where I found the customer from from Amsterdam for example um, and then I also use platforms like house I'm about to mm -hmm. um, I'm about to list a, a number of my made-to-order items on Wayfair of course, the Etsy page is um, very helpful. Um, so things like that, um, just tr picking platforms, using the marketing power of the platforms themselves, mm -hmm. rather than trying to market myself individually, um, nationwide or internationally. Mm -hmm. Do you have a specialty type of furniture that you really enjoy making more than others? Because uh, we talked about actually office yeah. spaces, co-working spaces, and building those out. I like... Um, that that falls into, falls into a, I would say a category that I build a lot. Um, tables and desks, um, I enjoy building. I find myself building a lot of bathroom vanities mm -hmm. for whatever reason. I'm not sure why. It just mm -hmm. is the some people like them. The space I landed <laughs> in, in, and uh, and yeah, I, I build quite a lot of them. Um, my my personal style does drive the kinds of jobs that I do, and so. Um, can you describe that style? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit of a modernist. Um, so it's it's modern furniture that sort of runs the spectrum between the um, the industrial uh, or rustic end to the more sort of mid-century modern mm -hmm. side. Um, my work tends to be straight, flat, square, um, and not a lot, not a lot of flourish. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there are certain types of furniture that you know, fit that sort of uh, an aesthetic better than others. Um, I don't do a lot of upholstered. I've never really done any upholstered um, work. And so uh, tables and, and desks sort of by virtue are flat and straight and square. And I, I like those. Uh, case goods, similarly, straight, flat, square. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where my, that's where my shop is tooled and where my uh, aesthetic and eye for customer base is geared. Mm. Yeah. So <clears throat> have you had any other challenges with being in a small town and how have you overcome them? I think the distance between things is, a, is one of the biggest challenges. Um, mm -hmm. I've learned to think regionally instead of locally or I've expanded my, my definition of local to a, a more regional sort of scope. Um, it's, it's only a problem in so far as it takes time to get places. So my lumber suppliers in Cairo and my steel suppliers in Paducah, and I have alternate suppliers in St. Louis and in Peoria and uh, Chicago. Um, so I would say just, just building in time for that 
that uh, the distance between vendors sure. and between materials. Um, the other, the other um, sort of condition of working in a small town that I've had to adapt to is that it, I don't have a, a large local market. So I really have had to evolve into a more online sort of business um, or think again, um, redefine local to mean regional. So if I'm looking to do installations or in-person design, um, looking at St. Louis or Indian Indianapolis or Nashville or Memphis, Louisville um, or Chicago even. So again, just a larger scale for what local means. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you love being an entrepreneur? Was that something that you've always thought about and, or did you fall into it? Was it kind of grew to the next step and how's that working out for you? you do you love being a business owner? I do. Um, I think I am naturally sort of a, an introvert, a bit of a loner and, um, and I, and stubborn with my time. And so to me, it's a, it's a matter of building into um, into my life, the flexibility that I need to have my own personality. And that to me is like the, the number one reward to being a business owner and working for myself. Um, the saying is that if you work for yourself, you work for everybody. So there are some caveats, um, but uh, that, that to me is why I do it. And that, in fact, I think I've spoiled myself to such a point, I don't know that I could clock in for somebody else mm -hmm. yeah. anymore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Do you sense you're highly successful, or would you want to move back to an urban area? I, um, you know, I have a hard time defining what success would mean for me. I, I don't know that um, success needs to mean that I'm, you know, wealthy or that I've developed some legacy that I that I can put my name on. I think to me, success is the is ability to feel fulfilled in what I'm doing. Um, and there are times when my business doesn't feel fulfilling in that way and I feel like I need to make an adjustment or reevaluate. And then there are times when it, when it definitely does. Um, again, having a business that functions and sustains itself well enough that I can put food on my, on my table and at the same time also be free to be flexible for my kids needs and my family's needs mm -hmm. that to me is uh is what it's about and what yeah. i'm after yeah. so you're gonna talk about your family you mentioned that sure sure <laughs> i've got um four boys awesome and my oldest just uh started at, at lsu and my youngest just started kindergarten wow wow <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a nice spread yeah <laughs> an entrepreneur can do that right yeah, yeah sure yeah it's we're, awesome we're, we're versatile that's awesome. And uh, very supportive family for the business. Are they involved at all? They, they are. They are. My oldest two boys have been in the shop um, okay. and, uh, and help out. They come in on summers and, and mm -hmm. sweep the floors and make small cuts and hold the, the end of that piece over there and mm -hmm. things like that. So they're familiar with it. And uh, I think that they both have had the benefit of seeing that it's possible. So mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a wide range of possibilities for what you can do out there in the world mm -hmm. to support yourself. So. Yeah. yeah. So as an expert in your field, are there any tips or advice that you have for our listeners, um, whether it's on the shopping side and on the consumer-based side, or, um, or for anybody that 
has that skill set that would like to get into that business of um, you know working working with their hands and making that a business. Besides, yeah. don't shop at IKEA and expect the same quality. I was going to IKEA earlier, but try to stay away. Allison, sure. yeah. That's, I a don't, have, that's a dirty word for I have craftsmen. No, no hate for consumer goods for, uh, for IKEA. Um, I would say on the, on the business side, and I think especially in a craft-based field, um, that the, the mindset, mindset of investing in yourself should be that at any time if you're putting money into uh, training or putting money into tooling or putting money into hiring, whatever you're investing in, it should be um, for the purpose of buying your time back. Um, The the processes of of a skills-based trade are really time consuming and there's a, anybody who works with their hands loves to work with their hands. They love to you know, spend the time with the sander, but there are ways of developing your process and developing your uh, capacity um, and developing relationships that save you the time that it takes to sand every piece of wood by yourself. And so um, whatever it is, just think of thinking of um, building or developing or investment as a, a way to buy your time back from the commitments that you've made in, in your business. Yeah, I like that. Find your time back. Is there any advice you would give to your younger self if you could start this over again? Say no more often. Um, mm. I was just thinking about that question driving in here and I was thinking um, how many times I bent over backwards to chase every penny across every parking lot. Um, and I have learned in 10 years that I would rather have um, 28 to $10,000 projects in a year than have 80 to 100 $2,000 projects in a year. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes patience and some, some faith and optimism to wait um, and say no to, the, to what's coming in at you. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the long run, the, uh, it's easier on your mind, it's easier on your back, and the margins are better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Very well said. All right. Do you have anything else to share with us today? Uh, I don't think so. Man. How would someone get a hold of you? How would they see your products in the Object A? I have a website, um, object-a.com, and I also have a website, a website, an Etsy page. Um, it is Object A Design Build is my Etsy page. So both of those are the easiest ways to find my catalog and my products and get in, in touch with me. Very good. I'm going to not wrap up yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to know about your business name. Where did you come up with it? And uh, what is yeah. the story? That, um, that was a product of my thesis in architecture. My thesis in architecture was about building a space that was purely self-referential, um, which is esoteric and, and nerdy and a long story. But um, it was a, largely a study of modern philosophy and psychology. And so in Lacanian psychology, there's a term, um, object small a, which is um, a variable that's meant to be a stand-in for the whatever object it is that is the first object of desire that then creates the first moment of subjective awareness. So 
Um, the idea being that at some point we're a child and we're so so not self-aware, our experience is so um, subjective that we we think of everything as ourselves. And at some point we've, we recognize a need or a desire and it's through the recognition of that need or desire that we suddenly detach, we separate ourselves from the rest of the world and realize that we are a closed and unique body within a larger environment. Whew. I hope somebody <laughs> listening caught all that and maybe will contact me and explain a little bit more about what you just said. That is amazing, though. I love the idea that um, that you referenced. That's really yeah. cool. Hey, Josh, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Did you enjoy the experience? I did. You said this was your first podcast. So. It is. Yes. Excellent. Yeah, I think you did great. Thank I think you. so, too. Yeah. yeah. So we want to thank you, Josh Ingold from Object A, for joining us today on Small Town Big Business. We want to thank all of our watchers and listeners um, for tuning in to our podcast. Um, and we're grateful for our sponsors again. And that includes Arcadia Wealth Group, uh, Fowler Heating and Cooling, Black Diamond Harley-Davidson and RV, Watermark Auto Group Foundation, Southern Illinois Vacation Rental, Swinford Media Group, and Union Street Arts. A big special thanks to Luke O'Neill, who is our recorder, producer, does all the good stuff behind the scenes and makes us look and sound really good. If you want to reach out to me, Russell Williams, here at Ethos, if you have needs for co-working spaces, um, small business incubation, or training and development spaces, just contact me. It's russell at watermarkethos.org. You can go online to ethosmarion.org. Well, thank you again for joining us. I'm Allison Hassler. And I'm Russell Williams. <laughs>